Hi, this is Robert Fleming, one of the two partners in the Arizona, Tucson, Arizona, elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. As I say, there are two partners. The other one's name is Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. And she's sitting here across from me today. And we are going to talk about elder law issues, which is what we call this podcast so that people know what it is we're going to talk about. Wasn't all of that just genius, Elizabeth? Oh, Robert, I'm I'm so excited about our conversation today. <laughs> it's actually one that, that I think many families will have an interest in and doesn't just involve folks who may be aging. I mean, elderly, it involves people who may be younger and actually stepping in to administer an estate. What I'm excited about talking about, Robert, is what do you do when you might be the personal representative and there may be a probate or you might be the successor trustee And parties agree that they want to operate outside the terms of the documents, meaning maybe the estate is supposed to be divided equally four ways, but you know what, there's another person that you think really should receive some benefit from the estate, and all the parties agree, you know what, instead of dividing four ways, we should divide five ways. Or three ways, if all four people agree. Exactly. So that's what I thought might be an interesting topic for people today, because there's often a question that the fiduciary, so the person who is responsible for administering the estate or the trust, may have about exercising discretion and about operating outside of the terms. In a general way, in Arizona, and and we make this disclaimer a lot, this is an appropriate time to make it. We know Arizona law pretty well, but we don't know the law of Massachusetts or Mississippi or Montana or Michigan or any of the other states that might start with M or, for that matter, any of the other states. So uh, we're really talking about Arizona law. But Arizona allows the heirs or the beneficiaries of a trust to agree to alter the terms. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that they can just do anything they want if, for instance, the, um, the three or four beneficiaries of the estate include a trust for the, for the one child that mom always thought was a spendthrift, you probably can't man- make an agreement to eliminate that trust. You need to uh, maintain the, the uh, remainder beneficiary's interest and the, and the limitations. But within reason, for most kinds of things, the parties can make an agreement to, to modify the terms. So, Elizabeth, in your fact pattern that you you started with, uh, if if the parties all agree that you know there are three children who are the beneficiaries, but they all agree that the daughter-in-law, wife of one of the children, did a lot of work for dad or mom and ought to be paid for it, they can all agree to that, right? Well, Robert, the answer is yes. And when we say can be paid for it, there are so many different there are so many different questions around that when people think about, well, if we really want to pay this caregiver or this family member for his or her services and as a form of payment we're going to uh, give the person ten percent of the estate. Well, you know, if the person was a paid caregiver and they were performing services, there are actually rules that that determine whether somebody should be getting a lump sum or potentially an amount in a 1099. So all that can get confusing quickly. What I tell people is, first of all, let's get all the brainstorming on the table right away, as early as possible. It is very hard midway through an administration, whether there's court supervision or not, to then 
start making changes about who's getting what, in part because whoever's responsible for administering the estate or trust is going to be responsible for record keeping. And that includes accountings and, and documentation around distributions. So if all of a sudden, midway through an administration, somebody starts to distribute outside of the terms, the operative terms of the document, that can really create an accounting issue and documentation issue down the road. So my first tip is, if you think you might want to operate outside of the terms of the will or the terms of the trust or outside of the natural division pursuant to Arizona law, talk about it up front with your attorney and then really think about who needs to agree in order for this to be successful and and then then think about the documentation piece. In some cases, Robert, we end up recommending people that um, they get this blessed before a court, even if it's not required to be blessed. So often uh, the decisions that the executor, personal representative, fiduciary, trustee, whatever role it is, uh, the decisions they're making are really discretionary decisions. And for instance, one of the very common scenarios that we see is that um, there might be three children who are to share the estate equally. Mom and dad had five pieces of real estate and the children come to an agreement about, well, I'll get these two, you can have those two, and our sister can have the big one with the house on it. And that'll be about equal. They can do that, right? They can enter into whatever agreement they want about how to make the division without really changing the percentages of the estate. Sure, Robert. People can all agree to assign whatever values they want to assign, but everybody needs to agree in that case. So I think a lot of people think that there's like a personal representative cop or a probate cop out there who's going to look at your proposal for distribution and say, oh, this is unfair to your sister, even though she's totally okay with with receiving a smaller share. It's just unfair to her and you can't do that. And there is no probate cop, right? There's no probate cop, Robert. What we do tell people who are fiduciaries is if you're going to exercise discretion, if you're going to operate with an agreement among parties that may be informal in nature as it relates to appraised values or um, or actually deciding to give somebody a discount on something, you really should have documentation around it. Um, we don't mean to overcomplicate things, but it's also important that there be some protections for the fiduciary um, should somebody have a question at a later date. And somebody who could have a question might be a grandchild, might be a niece or a nephew, might be a party that at a later date may be faced with trying to understand the transaction and what occurred. Yeah, that's a that's an important point to remember that you may think, oh, my sister and my brother and I, we all get along great. We know exactly what's happening. We don't need to go through a lot of formality. We don't need to write stuff down. And in the course of the resolution, maybe your sister dies or your brother gets divorced or, uh, or something else happens that changes the people you're dealing with before the work is all done. Best to document it, best to, best to negotiate it. And once in a while, Elizabeth, that's going to mean the various people have to have separate attorneys, isn't it? It is, Robert. And when we have people who need to meet with outside and independent counsel before entering into one of these agreements. We try and make it as simple and straightforward as possible. And oftentimes there is the misunderstanding that we can work for all the parties and, and create an agreement that benefits everybody. Well, 
we're going to have one client and there may be people who are involved in the transaction that are not our client, it's really, really important that those folks understand that they are responsible for protecting their own rights. As we always say to our clients, we are not trying to make this more complicated, but we're trying to keep you on the straight and narrow, keep you from getting into trouble. And sometimes you need to do a little bit of work in those informal understandings that you reach with the other heirs in an estate. And and of course, we've been talking like it's always three siblings and they're the people who have to get along. But, you know, sometimes it's four siblings and the second spouse or some other less less common formulation of, of beneficiaries. Sometimes it's a charitable organization that's one of the beneficiaries. So a lot of different arrangements can come up, and uh, and the goal is always to try to make it make sense, be fair, and be relatively clear on paper. And Robert, I think it nine times out of ten, we chat with people about these kinds of agreements with a CPA or tax professional in the room. So it's important that people understand, you know, when we provide legal advice, we're not providing tax advice or investment advice. So when we start to talk about an agreement, we normally refer someone to also make sure that for tax purposes, they've met with their CPA about it. So if we represent you and you're managing an estate or a trust, or if if you want to understand how this is going to work for your estate or trust after you die, um, we're happy to talk with you. So is the lawyer that has already been involved in, in the administration of your estate, of the estate or the trust. Um, talk to counsel, talk to the accountants, make sure everybody's on the same page, make sure you get it documented. And with that generic and, and obvious advice, we're going to call this a day. I'm Robert Fleming. I've been chatting with Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. We're the partners in the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. We call this podcast Elder Law Issues, and we hope you will be persistent in joining us. Talk to you then.